Good morning, everybody. Thank you for being here this morning to our MTalk event towards a swimmable, livable, or the other way around, Yarra River. Uh, our MTalk is being held on the traditional lands of the Kulin Nation, and I wish to acknowledge their elders, or them as traditional owners, and also like to pay my respects to the elders past and present, and the elders from other communities who may also be here today. It was, uh, my name is Reese Anderson, and I'll be facilitating today's talk. It was about three years ago, a colleague, a friend of mine, we went on a Yarra cruise, and it wasn't the sort of cruise you might expect. It was on a little tinny boat, in effect, slightly larger than a tinny. And we were joined by Andrew Kelly, the Yarra Riverkeeper, and two other, uh, two other crazed enthusiasts, shall I say. And it was, a, it was probably a bit of a brisk autumn morning, got onto the boat out of Burnley, and we started going up the Yarra River. And my colleague and I, Michael, we had um, been talking about the idea of swimming in the Yarra. And we thought that maybe we were the only sort of crazy ones to think that that was a good idea, particularly in the city reaches. And as we got on the boat and as we started going up the river, it occurred to us that there was actually, at, at that time, with those two other people on the boat, there were two other crazy people who thought that that might be a good idea. And so as we were going up and talking about those ideas and what it could look like and what it would mean for the city of Melbourne, we, it, we, were, we were inspired, this could be done. Maybe there's actually a couple of other people who think like us. And it looks like today that there's maybe about 100 people who also think that that could be a good idea. And we welcome you here this, this morning. And what, you're gonna, what we intend to really share with you are a bunch of ideas and thoughts and um, initiatives that are taking place across the Yarra River, mostly in the city reaches, and how those ideas, how those, those uh, initiatives could help to make Melbourne a more livable city, help to make Yarra, the Yarra River, a swimmable and livable uh, component of our great city. So first up this morning, we have five pitches. We have got five people who are going to present to you for six minutes and are going to hold them to those six minutes to present their idea or their pitch on uh, uh, what it is along the Yarra. And we're actually going to start with Rod Giblet first. And Rod, I'm, I'm going to ask you to come up here. Rod, you're going to be talking about North Wharf wetlands. Is that right? Amongst other things. Amongst other things. Thank you, Rod. So uh, thank you all for coming. And uh, I'd also like to acknowledge the traditional owners, users and inhabitants of the wetlands and drylands on which we now are sitting or standing. Um, when we talk about the river, we need to think in terms that the river is located within a catchment or a bioregion. So we can't consider the river alone. In fact, if we think about the river, uh, from Punt Road to the bay, it's a canal. And in fact, in 1879, uh, Coods Canal was constructed. Um, around here on the side, I've got copies of these maps and I've got some handouts, so when I give a workshop, you'll be able to get one, or you just come and grab one if you're going to another workshop. So Coots Canal uh, went from basically um, Queen Street and cut across a big um, circle, which was initially uh, Fisherman's Bend. Uh, that's now pretty much um, all underwater, also all under Docklands. So North Wharf is between uh, the Yarra River um, and Docklands. And this is currently being um, developed by Lendlease. It's one of the last areas of Docklands to be developed. And one of the things that I've been doing is working with a public art consultant called Sue Clark, 
about trying to get uh, Lend-Lease, City of Melbourne and other stakeholders to think outside the box about what they might do on North Wharf to commemorate and acknowledge the fact that that area was West Melbourne or Batman Swamp. So basically uh, from Southern Cross Station uh, westward was this huge um, swamp and it's shown on, on these maps and other maps. So when we think about a canal, it's kind of interesting. It's kind of, um, it's a bit like the human body. Um, some people, some scientists call wetlands the kidneys of the earth. So we can't kind of, we can't function ourselves um, just as a canal. We're not a, we're not a canal from cake hole to asshole. We have other organs that support um, this canal, including the kidneys. And kidneys are often called the, the um, wetlands are often called the kidneys of, of the environment because they purify water. So um, along the whole course of, of the Yarra, uh, from just where we are, and it's shown on maps, my maps, and there's some other maps there, there are a whole series of billabongs. These functioned as floodplains so they could absorb water in times of storm or flood. And it's interesting to think about Houston, which um, recently had massive and devastating floods, and now they're thinking about trying to restore their bayous that were there that could have absorbed a lot of that flooding. Now, some people say, well, maybe it's only a matter of time uh, before we have a massive 1,000-year flood event in Melbourne. Now, what's going to happen? I mean, Swanston Street floods. Elizabeth Street was Elizabeth Creek. That floods. So we kind of have no capacity to absorb a lot of these flows. So part of what I'm going to be talking about is the way that which we can consider, um, we need to consider the Yarra as part of a bioregion. We all live in, a bio, in this bioregion. We are dependent on its air. Um, most of our food comes from this bioregion. And our water, I mean, it comes from the Yarra catchment. So we need to think kind of um, holistically and also in a bodily way about that we are in kind of symbiosis with this place. We breathe the air. Um, we, we're dependent on its water. We eat its food. But, yeah, a lot of the time we don't acknowledge that and don't care for it. So if you think about also the billabongs that were down through this area, uh, there was uh, the ornamental lake in the Royal Botanic Gardens here. That was a billabong. Um, it's now kind of... Well, they're kind of... There's some floating wetlands in that, so they're kind of trying to make a token effort to restore some of the wetland functions that were there. But Fed Square was uh, built over a, over a billabong. And you go further up the, up the Yarra, and there are still some existing uh, billabongs at uh, Bolan Bolan, although that was two billabongs uh, that were connected to each other and connected to the river. One of them is now under the uh, Trinity Grammar Sports Field and, of course, then in Banyul Flats. And Banyul Flats is um, under threat from a freeway going underneath it. So... Billabongs have not tended to be uh, very well regarded in Australian history although and culture, although our most famous song, Once a Jolly Swagman Camped by a Billabong, you would start to uh, wonder why and start to think the Billabong should actually be acknowledged as important parts um, of our environment. How am I going for time? One minute. Um, I'll just about run out of things to say. So I'm going to be talking more about um, proposals uh, for, for what I have in mind, for about acknowledging the history of um, Melbourne as a city of wetlands. I've written an article that was published the uh, year before last in the Victorian Historical Journal. There are details about that. Um, I th also think uh, I, was I was involved in a project in Perth, and it's now on the WA Museum website, 
which um, was an exhibition of archival maps of Perth showing the wetlands that had been there on settlement. And also um, there was a virtual view of what Perth looked like or might have looked like in 1827. Uh, before um, white settlement. And this project was based on a similar project in Manhattan uh, called the Manhattan Project, you can Google that, um, and where uh, Eric Sanderson had got a team together and developed a view of Manhattan Island as it would have looked like uh, when the Dutch came in 16, whenever it was, um, showing that the lakes and the, and the swamps and the wetlands that were there, because he had, had discovered a, a British map um, showing all those wetlands. So I think there's a lot to be done in Melbourne about acknowledging the fact that um, it is or was a city of wetlands. So thank you. Thanks, Rod. That was, that was great. I've never heard cake hole to asshole in a presentation before. That was wonderful. I feel like it's a bit, it's a bit like the tennis. You've got to wait before the game's over or the change of ends before you can come and sit down. Excellent. Well, I'm, what I haven't int introduced and haven't mentioned is that we are actually, through our pitches, we're actually working our way up the Yarra. So we started with the North Wharf wetlands, and next we're going to hear from Michael O'Neill around the Yarra Pools idea. And uh, I won't give any more introduction to the project itself. Michael will talk to it. Thank you, Michael. Thank you, Reese. So... Wanting to swim in the Yarra isn't new. Members of the Kulin Nation have been doing it for literally millennia. And the fact that we currently can't swim in the lower reaches of the Yarra, that is new. Boating regulations, water quality, and the community perceptions of a filthy river meant we abandoned river swimming in the Yarra, um, in the lower reaches, many decades ago. And the memory of that is sort of evaporating from our consciousness. We all know that the Yarra is this city's lifeblood. It's the reason we're here. 70% of our drinking water comes from the Yarra. Um, and so if you take it away, we're really quite stuffed. There's nowhere for floodwaters to go, as Rod just mentioned, and there's no final refuge for the birds and the bees. Melbourne mightn't think of itself as a water city in the way that some of our other capital cities uh, tend to or sell themselves as, but it is. And our rivers, creeks and waterways um, and our beautiful bay are really important landscape features. They're the the features that we move along, and they provide reference points for us in what is one of the world's great but flat cities. Um, we also know that in Australia, the places we swim are socially useful. Our beaches, rivers, lakes and pools, first and foremost, are a meeting place. Pools are what Olympian Shane Gould refers to as a pond in a park. And her research shows us that only 1% of people's time is spent in a horizontal swimming position when they go and visit a, an outdoor pool. The rest is made up of socialising, dwelling, chatting, reading, um, you know, having coffee, or just getting some sun by the water's edge. Places like these are really important because they make communities. For newcomers, they provide a, an access point to Australian culture, and they are places where we experience that freedom as a child that we keep trying to recreate. They're also places where, as we get older, we sort of start picking ourselves apart and our bodies apart. So they're places we learn about ourselves. They're places we go to improve our health, go to meet people, or be alone, but still around people. From our research with peak bodies in stage one of our user needs analysis, and you can see the outcomes of that up around here today, we know that a Yarra pool will be different things to different people. 
This depends on whether you like to swim, ride a bike, be close to the water, walk that last few hundred metres to work, hold a major event, fish, stand up paddleboard, play a water sport, uh, teach your kids to swim, or you just want a riverside destination to admire, be close to the water and regroup. The Yarra Pool and ultimately a swimmable river can meet a lot of the challenges that Melbourne faces. By 2051, there'll be 8 million of us living in this city. And I just want you to imagine what that kind of looks like. Um, but it's not just the volume of people that'll be here, it's that our demographic makeup will be profoundly different. This is driving a massive need for more open space, but not just open space in the traditional way we think of it, different kinds of open space that do different things. Then there's the obvious urban design challenges and connectivity challenges that the north bank of the river faces. So it's a real lost opportunity down there at the moment. Um, and just the opportunities not yet realised for that site at Enterprise, Enterprise Park, where the city as we know it today came into being. What's most important, though, about a pool and a swimmable river, from my perspective, is that it provides a destination for us to focus our collective efforts on. It provides a tangible goal that ties together the multitude of strategies that our governments, local, state, put out. These documents will often talk in very general terms about a cleaner or a greener or a cooler environment, but they struggle to meaningfully define or show us what that actually looks like. What's the end point? If we accept the goal of a swimmable river, and that's not just swimmable for people, that's for aquatic life, we accept that everything we do in the catchment of this river needs to be thought about differently. And we accept that we will be held to, uh, to account for progress that's something that we can all just understand. It's either a yes or a no. We accept that it's worthwhile investing in green infrastructure and water-sensitive urban design, and tree canopy cover, and litter reduction, sewer upgrades, and the recovery of water for the environment. And the piece of the, of the puzzle become clearer and where we fit and can all contribute starts to make sense. There are lots of questions for Yarra Pools to answer as we move forward, and that's why we're here today. We're delving into those with you. They range from the technical to the practical to how to create a socially inclusive and friendly space. They encompass designing for Melbourne's six seasons, where we source the water, how we treat it, who will use it and when, whether the pool is free or not, is it open all year round, We've got river temperatures as low as nine degrees in winter. It doesn't need to be heated, and there's a variety of views on, on that. Who will actually run it? How does the community most meaningfully get involved in its operation and design? How do we fund the construction? How do we bring the next generation of Melbourne design, designers along with us so they can put their stamp on this city? It's something iconic. How do we respect existing Yarra River users and Enterprise Park users and embrace the rich but almost hidden story of the site? But the one key is what does a dirty river actually say about us as a city? And what are we missing out on because of it? So we'll continue to work through these questions and more through the design process, which the RMIT students, uh, whose work, preliminary work you'll see up around today, um, they're custodians of that at the moment. Um, and we've got our friends, Wawaura and Arup as well, who are helping with the pro bono work that we need. And if we can get that right, then we can secure funding to do a proper business case which government would want to see. That's all they keep saying. Um, so, but to that end, we need your help giving us feedback on our draft design principles, because this project is nothing unless the community wants it, get behind it, see its value, help us design it, and insist on change. Because there is one thing that this project is about, 
and that's reclaiming our river, stroke by stroke. Excellent. I think uh, yesterday was, was a great example of how good a, a pool in the river would have been, uh, given the heat. Fortunate, we're fortunate today, a bit cooler here now, but uh, imagine if you could just go to the tennis, and then after, the, after you've gone to the tennis, just then go hop in the river for a swim. We'd, uh, wouldn't that be awesome? Awesome. We'd have to just uh, make sure, keep clear all the tennis players and all that sort of stuff as well. We're moving up the river and we're going to look, uh, have uh, Helene talk to us about Co-Create Cremorne. So welcome, uh, Helene. You're going to sit down, aren't you? You're going to present? Okay. Hi. Thanks very much for having me. Um, so I'm Helene from Co-Create Cremorne. We're a small community network that's really excited about public space and the things that that can do for our community. Um, but first I'd, and first I'd like to welcome the Wurundjeri and the Yalik Willem people as the traditional owners of the land on which we meet and pay respect to their elders past and present. When we meet in public space, we usually bring this little thing along, which is our stencil, oh. <laughs> Sorry. which is our stencil, which has the art piece by Rico Rennie behind it, which just reminds us that we're on land, which always was, always will be Aboriginal land. So we usually bring that with us. Um, we think there's so much that we can learn from our First Nation people, and we're really excited about um, learning together about connection to country and connection with the river. Uh, now, as we go through, if anyone has anything that any ideas or later on when we talk about this, there's some speech bubbles and some ideas so people can add those later on. Um, so this is the underpass. This is the city link. This is the Nilex silos site. And this is the site we're really excited about with an opportunity. So the site also has a recent colourful history as the Cremorne Pleasure Gardens. That was a 19th century amusement park where there was wild entertainment, there was a maze, a menagerie, um, a bandstand and, yeah, lots of really interesting entertainment going on there in 1853. And people used to arrive at Cremorne by gondola. So this is a picture of the gondola of how people used to go from the CBD and arrive at Cremorne. But if you currently arrive at Cremorne, which this is the entrance point, you either come along the bike track or walk along here or come off Punt Road. Um, at the moment, you wouldn't even know that you're passing Cremorne. There's nothing to indicate it. It's just a grey under freeway area. So this is where we see there's real potential to do something. Um, so we have a... And, yeah, so to talk about its meaningful and its colourful past. So we think a different approach could go something like this. So you jump on a bike to meet some friends who have just moved to Cremorne and you notice some graphics on the path that say, Welcome to Cremorne. You're met by a sculptural art piece that can't be missed as it recognises that the site is Aboriginal land and shares the creation story of the river. You wonder how you've never heard this story before. There's a bunch of movable seats in here that are made by a local maker and there's a massive mural in the background that's done by a local street artist. It shows a Rakali, which is the platypus's closest relative, and it's mingled in with a bunch of the background information of what the Cremorne Pleasure Gardens was. 
And then in this part here, which is currently all-day free parking, Riverside, <laughs> um, we see there's a huge opportunity. So imagine if there's a few shipping containers. One's called The Shop and it sells ice creams. Um, another one's called... Oh, at, in the mornings, this is the same container that someone rents out to sell coffees in the morning. Another one's called the thingery, and the thingery is a space where you c a place where you can go and borrow things. There's camping gear, tools, there's inflatable boats, life vests, board games, basketballs, and lots more. So people living in the apartments can just come and borrow things. Um, this was inspired by one that already operates in Vancouver. And then the third one here is called the shed. It's a place for makers to go, so makers can keep their little projects in there and come down and work on their things together, and it's sort of a post-throwaway culture vibe. But before we ride on, we take a quick picture of the big community notice board that's at the back. So there's a lot of things happening down here. There's yoga one morning and dance classes on a Tuesday night that are run by the local dance troupe, and, or youth troupe. And then there's some international collaboration that it says is happening one night in March. There's two girls standing in the ice cream queue from the Melbourne Indigenous Transition School just up the road. And they're talking to Kara, who's the organiser of the um, Girls in Tech event that's doing coding classes that's just coming up. These girls come and use the climbing wall that's here often on the way home from school. Um, as for River Health, one of the local tech businesses has needed a cause for them to work on. So they started doing river cleanups, and then a local artist that they knew won a grant to make a projection light sculpture. The light sculpture's made of the river plastic that they collected, and it looks a bit like a cross between a disco ball and a chandelier, but it makes the place feel really safe at night. There's some reedy habitat that's been added, and it's already attracted a lot of birds. This trail that we're journeying along up the river, um, just could become a thing with destinations all along the way. And so here's why we think this is needed and also doable. Um, Cremorne, I don't know how many people know Cremorne or where Cremorne is. <laughs> That's a few. Okay, so Cremorne's become um, an, it's an industrial area with a documented lack of public space. It's a gritty but booming place that's become a bit of a tech hub. And this sounds a bit cringy, but it gets called the Silicon Valley of Victoria. <laughs> Um, uh, there's unicorn businesses there, so Victoria has three unicorn businesses and two of those are in Cremorne and the third one's just about to move there. So that's a company worth a billion dollars plus. And so at its core, it's just a community. Um, so if you wander up the streets of Cremorne, you'll see a bunch of people working on Macs and then you'll see um, people fixing donation bikes, working behind the roller doors at another place. Then a couple of doors up will be some kids' bikes leaning on a, someone's veranda. Um, so to wrap up, right next door to here, there's the Nilex silo site, which is but the very best land here is public space that's riverside. So that's where we see an opportunity to connect prosperity, people, stories, Indigenous culture and the river. It might seem like a bit of a dream, but already there's Doug that works down here and has worked there for many years fixing bikes in his mobile van. So he works there all day, every day. Um, IADV, which is the Indigenous Architects and Design Victoria, are keen to help 
engage a designer to work on the space. Sugar Sweet, Sugar Sweet Paint has just donated um, his art to do a huge mural in, in the underpass. And locals already meet down there to talk about community and things. Um, there was a speech bubble painted in a bit of a rebel way. And in three days, the speech bubble filled up with all the different ways that people could use the space. And there's a shared library down there a basketball hoop that someone's installed, and a Rakali was recently spotted. So we could either sit back and wait for what the developer might propose to happen or what the government might plan, but as a community, we came together and have started testing and doing things in the space and trying to see what can happen. Thank you. Fantastic. Got to love an, a, a nice little visual model like that too. Really appreciate that. Uh, next, we're going to move on to Andrew Kelly, a man who needs no introduction, but we just know him uh, familiarly as the Riverkeeper. So, Andrew, thank you. Thanks, Chris. Thank you. <laughs> Hi. Yes, I'm Andrew Kelly, and I'm. It's my honour and privilege to be the Yarra Riverkeeper. And I would like to acknowledge also the traditional owners of the land in the Yarra catchment, the Wurundjeri people and the Boonwurrung people, uh, and agree absolutely with the previous speakers that we have a lot to learn. And uh, I think with the current initiatives with the Boonwurrung Council, there is much expanded opportunity for um, better partnership. But uh, I'd note that perhaps partnership's the wrong word because uh, sovereignty was never ceded. Um, so I'm here speaking on the Burnley Crofters project. Um, Burnley is a little further up the river than Helene's Cremorne site. It also is a very industrial site. Uh, it is actually where I'm fortunate enough to moor our boat. So we have a patrol boat. Uh, we are actually a group of citizen advocates who uh, speak on behalf of the river and educate about the river um, and we are fortunate enough to have a boat that we can take out regularly and take out piece people like Michael and Reese to show them the river from the river's point of view. So a few years ago, I was looking at the harbour as I was taking the boat in and out and realising what an opportunity it actually was. Originally, the Yarra was marked on MMBW maps as Melbourne's number one drain. And when it was decided to put Melbourne's first freeway in, it was plonked along the river. And now really from Grolsch's paddock, where the tunnel enters, uh, down to Gardner's freeway, it does uh, follow the river. And it's really separated the river from many of the parklands on its banks and uh, created uh, pretty much dead space uh, under the freeway, in the undercroft of the freeway, as it's called. Um, so... Now it is a space that is, as Melbourne's population explodes, uh, we're heading towards, as Michael mentioned, 8 million in 2030. Uh, there's increasing demand for open space. And one of the great urban planning things that we've done in this city is to put the uh, bike trails in a network of bike trails, which usually shadow uh, waterways. So there's the main Yarra Trail. And I said bike, but I shouldn't say bike because they are shared trails. And they're very much shared trails and pedestrians have as much right to be on them as cyclists. So at this point, we have some 2,000 cyclists, commuter cyclists in the morning coming to work and going home in the evening. And then throughout the day along this stretch, we have um, pedestrians, uh, 
recreational cyclists, dog walkers, many, many people are using this space, but it still retains its sort of industrial heritage. So the, the harbour there was, it was created in 1927 when the walls of a bluestone quarry were punched out and the, the quarry was flooded and it created a new shorter leg for the river. Uh, this was a misguided effort in flood control. It also created Herring Island at the same time. Herring Island at one stage was pretty bleak. It was where they dumped the sediments from the river, the quite polluted sediments in the river. But now, thanks to the work of uh, Damien and Stanley of the Friends of Herring Island and all the other people who've helped them, it's been transformed into a fabulous bushland. So it's really lovely. And if you stand in the middle of it, you could be anywhere in the bush in Victoria, except you can hear the faint hum of the freeway. And it shows what's possible. So it's easy to be disillusioned and think that things are never going to happen, but I think Damien and Stanley show what is possible on Herring Island and that, in fact, near the harbour there, there is actually a whole lot of green spaces that need to be reconnected. We need to con reconnect the river with those green spaces. There's McConaughey Reserve, there's uh, the Allen Bain Reserve, there's uh, the Mary Street Parklands, and then all around the Osnet Power Station, they have land there as well. There's land under the pylons, there's city power land. There's a whole lot of opportunity there to build really significant parkland around Burnley Harbour. And we were fortunate enough to get a grant from the city of Yarra uh, last year, and we now run bi-monthly every first Sunday. The first Sunday of every second month, we have a clean-up there, a weed, and hopefully some planting, and it's beginning to build uh, a sense of the place and how we can better use that place. And one thing that... Um, it's, it's a somewhat different site to Helene's Cremorne, which I think is a very human-oriented site and has a lot of opportunities. I think this is, is an opportunity to look at the biodiversity. It's, it's a slightly bigger site in terms of being able to plant, put in plants and rebuild that connection. The, the river is Melbourne's great sort of biodiversity sink. So in tough times, everything retreats to the river. That's the resource that can then grow back out in better times. So we really need to look after the river both as a migratory corridor, corridor along its length as well as a corridor back and forth from its kind of hinterlands, the parklands that surround it. So this is the sort of opportunity that we're looking at at the Burnley Crofters site. Um, and I was thinking when Michael was saying it is that one thing we could do, Michael, one minute, one thing we could do is to close the harbour off and turn it into a swimming site, shift Parks Victoria down to Docklands move them down to Victoria Harbour, reinvigorate docklands and create uh, a fabulous parkland there with its swimming opportunities and then no longer would we be closing the Yarra bike path every time we take a boat out. So that's my warning for a minute. Um, so I will finish by saying, look, do come down. First Sunday of every second month, so the 4th of February is the first one this year, 10 till 12.30, come along and help us. Think about the possibilities when you're down there of how we can convert the whole length of the undercroft of the freeway into viable open space both for people and for wildlife. So thanks very much. Fantastic. Uh, 
Andrew was such a great host for, for Michael and I. When we on, went on his boat, he had a thermos of tea and, and, and bickies for us when we went on there. What was amazing is the ability to sit on the boat and look up from the river. And as Andrew said, you really do get a viewpoint from the river's angle and not necessarily from looking down on it. And I think that makes a huge difference to how you view it. And I think that's a really nice segue to introduce Courtney Carthy from Inflatable Regatta. Thank you, Courtney. Thanks. Hi. Um, that perspective thing is something that we talk about a lot when we talk about um, inflatable regatta, an inflatable boat. You know, we have, I think this year, 1,500 of them going down the river. It's an event we started back in 2008. And you're really sort of plopped right, sort of even below the water's surface. Your bum sits in the thing, depending on how heavy you are. Um, but um, I'm just a bit nervous, so I'm going to sit down. Reese. can you move a bit? <laughs> Thanks. Um, so we, um, I grew up around um, Hawthorne. We had a, um, you know, we had softball and everything down near the Yarra, but we'd never actually go onto it. And then when I was at uni, we wanted to go on the river, you know, to find a different place to maybe drink some beers, and realised that it was legal to take inflatable boats down the river. It was, um, it was fine. There wasn't any law against it. It was just like a rowing sort of boat, and. It was fun, we did it, um, there was 11 of us, and then come 2014, a friend suggested we should do it again because she'd seen it on Facebook. Um, she didn't come with us, but she inspired a lot of organisation to get about 30 people down in 2014. Now, in 2015, we put it on Facebook, but we left the event open, so we didn't have a closed event like last time. And <laughs> I remember it was really funny refreshing the Facebook event and seeing it go up by hundreds each time you refreshed it. And we hit 15,000 in, um, in a couple of months. I was working at ABC Radio at the time, and if anybody knows John Fain from um, 774 ABC Melbourne, I was one of his producers. And I was like, look at this, John, how funny. We've got 5,000 people that want to come to this you know, inflatable thing. We'll go to Kmart and buy all these boats. Or Lee, who's in the audience now, he figures out how we get all of our stock from um, various places. Um, and John put his hands on my shoulders and said... Courtney, can you really manage 5,000 people that want to go down the river? And it was 7.30 in the morning, and I sort of put my head down. I was a bit tired and said, no, I can't. And he goes, I think you better call someone. So now, uh, in 2018, we work with um, Parks Victoria, Burundara City Council. We are in touch with um, the Yarra River... Oh, sorry, the um, Yarra City Council... Uh, Yarra River Keepers, Yarra River Business Association, um, Yarra Pools, Yarra Swim, um, and a wider network of people that um, uh, that engage with the river. There's a there's a there's a thriving community that that you don't sort of realise just by looking at, but but working tirelessly behind the scenes to improve this because we've got such a uh, an amazing piece of real estate that is largely unused unless you're uh, you know a member of a rowing club. Um, the great thing that we think about when we think about inflatable regatta is it's a low barrier to entry experience, you know, in terms of how much it costs. Um, and, you know, for the experience you can get, it's, it's reasonably unique. Um, so in our enthusiasm for doing things on the river, we're trying to look at other ways we can um, get more people involved because a real sort of critical mass is, is quite um, handy in terms of people getting, you know, talking about it, just not thinking about it in such a negative way. Uh, and it's... 
I suppose when people complain to us on Facebook, are oh, you going to fall in? Oh, yeah, I'll go, but I'm not paying $110 to get sick. Um, which is kind of funny, but, you know, unless you're drinking a lot, somebody help me here, how much do you have to drink before you get sick? Okay, <laughs> depends if the, where you are, I suppose, because it does change. But um, one thing, and this is sort of inspired by Chris Chesterfield, who um, will be introduced in a minute. Uh, he really highlighted at a Yarra Strategic um, uh, engagement event that was held at the Arts Centre in September last year that the storytelling aspect um, of the Yarra really, you know, can be enhanced. And I can see Janet Belitho there, um, who's been a, an advocate for that down um, uh, further down uh, the river around Fisherman's Bend. And um, I one one way, and the idea I wanted to present to you today is, uh, you might know the concept of where you have an old photograph and you hold it up against the place that that photograph was taken. So, um, you know, it might be from the 50s, and then you revisit that street corner and you hold the photograph up and you see the old car in there, and then maybe, you know, it's overlapping, there's a new car. Um, and it gives you an idea of how that's changed over time, and it really sort of shows what was and what is. Um, we're working on a concept now. Um, it's, it's underway. We're, it's sort of getting momentum, where we do that concept, but for the Yarra, and not just with a photograph but with a huge canvas on a pontoon that's probably maybe eight metres wide by five metres high and have them positioned down, do the math on or the maths on where you have to stand exactly, create a destination there with some more information but then you can look and see exactly how Melbourne was from either side of the river um, and, and experience it on a larger scale so sort of like in real life rather than in a photograph. And I think that concept, um, simple concept, but it has a lot of scope for um, discovery in terms of finding the photographs or paintings that could be printed on these, um, understanding what happened before, curating the timeline and just deciding what to include and what not to. Um, that knowledge gathered during that process would be invaluable to then be repurposed uh, in different ways as in maybe an art gallery uh, or, um, or talks or presentations or slide. One minute, okay. Um, and look, if you'd, if you'd like to get involved, if you'd like to help, if you'd like to contribute, um, we're still working out exactly what we need, but you can get in touch with me. Uh, go to inflatableregatta.com um, or my email address is just Courtney at inflatableregatta.com. Um, and it's something that we're hoping to get up as a winter event so that it gets people down into the city during the winter. But from what I hear um, and experience, Melburnians will turn out for a lot of stuff, even if it's cold. <laughs> um, and through that medium of, uh, you know, we can enhance the storytelling because and until we started doing Inflatable Regatta as a public event and talking to people and understanding what used to be around here... Like, you, you would really, you know, at some point never know. Like, there's a guy who wants to bring back the river that used to flow down, or the creek that used to flow down Elizabeth Street. There was waterfalls. There was a water slide. Now, there's a bar called Water Slide, you know, that's sort of <laughs> indicative of Melbourne in a small way. Um, but the, I think that the thing is to engage... Yarraswim.co uh, Yarra is a website that has a fantastic history of the Yarra River... Um, uh, the, the swim to Princess Bridge, the race that used to happen just over there. Like, and now you, would, you wouldn't know it. So there's this vibrancy that's, that's come before us and it seems to have sort of lulled and we have this 
place where the rowers use. Um, and, you know, of course, there's many other people that use it, and, you know, I'm, uh, I don't want to offend anybody by not acknowledging that, but uh, it's, I feel like it's on the up again. There's so, much, so many ideas, enthusiasm, you know, we've filled M Pavilion. Um, hopefully we sell out inflatable regatta. Thankfully I haven't put my house up um, against it this time. But um, I would say learn, discuss. If you really want to go for a swim, go for a swim because then you can say you've done it. <laughs> it's worth it. But look, thanks for your time. Um, inflatableregatta.com, get in touch with me um, and hopefully we'll, um, we'll have some pontoons and some canvases up on the river soon. Are there, are there, are there still boats available? Oh, yeah, yeah, two for two. Uh, Oh, there's 389 boats left for inflatable regatta. I think. I checked this morning. But... To, to the number, 389 exactly. So if you're interested in that, then there's still a time and uh, a boat's available for you to, to join that activity. Really great segue. Feel free to hop on, hop on that if you like. It's a great segue for now you actually to have a bit of a say on what you've heard. And we're going to take a bit of a short break. We're going to take about 10 minutes for you to grab a coffee or a water or move around or something like that. But while you're doing that, we would really encourage you around the outside of the pavilion here, we've stuck up a number of posters and things like that, and we're going, each of the presenters is going to stand around. We'd really encourage you to ask questions or give your comments, recommendations, any ideas that you've got, uh, just in that brief time that we've got. And following that, we will also be asking you to give, um, we're going to sort of have a bit of a facilitated um, workshop, given that people are going to, it's going to be interesting to see how we go, but we want you actually to give uh, your opinion on some of the ideas on the back of this pavilion here as well. So in total, I think we're going to have about 20 minutes for you to have your say, give some advice, any other ideas that we haven't thought of or talked about this morning. And uh, then once we've done that, we're going to come back in here and we're actually going to hear from uh, a handful of experts, people who work in, uh, in and around the Yarra River and what, uh, around the barriers and the difficulties and the things that we need to do or could do to help uh, move towards a livable and swimmable Yarra River. So why don't you take 10 minutes. Please, 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 please talk to the, the, the presenters and, the, and discuss the pitches. We really, really want to hear your ideas, your thoughts and your initiatives as well. So thank you.